There is a fire that's been growing in recent years. It's not a new fire. It's a fire of mistrust and skepticism directed towards anything institutional. Although the last few years have been a rough stretch in the eyes of many for the evangelical church, plagued not only by the ever-persistent pandemic and increasingly polarized cultural political environment, as well as some of the instances of internal scandal. Perhaps it's not so surprising that the same period of time has seen a rise in so-called cases of deconstruction. People once claimed to be church-going Christians, but then, for whatever reasons, hit the roadblock of doubt and deconstruction and bounce. Doubt has become hip. It's a vibe. The desire to fit in with the cultural ethos of the moment is strong. That's why so many deconstruction stories sound like everyone else reading off the same script. But not everybody today has the same ideas when it comes to the term deconstruction. For some, it simply means that we should ask hard questions about whether the version of Christianity we are following is consistent with scripture. The writers of Ecclesiastes says not only is there a time to tear down, but also there is a time to build. Deconstruction without reconstruction is a tragedy. Where is it taking you? Is the path you're on making you more compassionate, hopeful, and a Christ-like person? Because if being more like Jesus isn't the end game, the destination isn't worth the journey. In this episode of Keep It 100, we will conclude our conversation on deconstruction, give a biblical proven answer to this dilemma, and hear from two young pastors who have personally faced this dynamic up close. Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and a real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Keep It 100 100 Tribe, we are so excited for another episode of Keep It 100 with Sean and Krista Smith. Hey peeps, how you living? Come on, we are really looking forward to this conversation because it is part two of deconstruction or demolition. But before we dive into that topic, let's talk about what we've been doing since we were last with you. Yes. Hey, I got a chance to go out to Welcome to Miami. (laughs) Went to Trinity, Miami, a couple heroes of mine, doctors Rich and Robin Wilkerson. And we had two powerful services, but we saw 25 or 30 people give their life to the Lord. Uh, there were healings. Uh, people packed the altar. It was uh, just a profound time. And then from there, went to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey. Come on now. Went to Freedom Church. It's our first time being at that church. Great people, great time. God moved once again. So it's just been a cool time of just seeing some ministry. Meanwhile, uh, we were doing some ministry in terms of we're always doing something either online or doing someone's Zoom or doing something. So we've been keeping quite busy on that end. But God has been showing up and showing Showing off, and we're really excited about him showing off on something coming up pretty soon. Drum roll, please. It is the Prophetic Masterclass hosted by Sean and Krista. And we're bringing our great friend Julian Adams all the way from Boston, originally from South Africa. And we just have the three of us coming together for a really powerful time of impartation. If you have not already heard about the Prophetic Masterclass, I want to just fill you in. If you have heard, but you haven't registered, you've been kind of on the fence, not sure, I want to tell you why you need to be there because I believe we're all called to go up a level in our prophetic ministry. And this two-day intensive prophetic masterclass, which is going to be September 16th and 17th, we're only a week and a half away, but it is not too late to register. You can still book your flight. If you live out of town, if you're in the Bay Area, come on, where's my Bay Area people? I want you to show up. I want you to clear out your calendar. I want you to grab your friends because this is our first time doing this. We've done this all over America. We've even done it on an international level. We have trained people in the prophetic for years. This is the first time we're doing it at home and we want to bring 
bring the people of the Bay. We want to bring you uh, wherever you're at and you've been maybe connected to our ministry in some way, shape or form. We want to invite you a personal invitation to come and join us September 16th and 17th. It is going to have six powerful teaching sessions, two from Sean, two from me, two from Julian. Each are going to be really practical on how to get the prophetic ministry actually activated. So we're not just going to share inspiring stories, although we might share a couple of really powerful testimonies, but our whole intent is not for you to get inside our walk with Jesus. We want to activate your walk with Jesus. We want to activate the gift in you. So our whole motive is really not sharing our stuff as in like our lives and all that. We want you to get activated in the prophetic gift in your life. So we're going to get you, we're going to prophesy over you. We're going to get you activated. We're going to teach. We're going to give you practicalities. And so whether you are seasoned in the prophetic, this is for you. You're brand new to the prophetic. This is for you. It is for literally all people in all stages, because what I love is when you come together and especially when you're seeking like the more of God, he always encounters you. Hey, you guys, you do not want to miss this thing. And we have gotten just a lot of feedback. A lot of people have been signing up, but guess what? Drum roll, please. Once again, (laughs) we want to let you know right now that there will be live streaming. A lot of you have asked that you're not able to make it in person. So you were asked if it was going to be streamed. So we made a last minute call and we are going to stream these. And so you can go to our website, www.seanandkristasmith.com. You can sign up for that and we believe it will bless you. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, this is going to be a unique episode because we're really giving it thought. And our last episode, if you've not heard, you need to listen to part one of our thing on deconstruction or demolition. But we were thinking instead of doing the Hundo P, instead of doing the main segment, all that, we wanted you to hear from two powerful young ministers, both hitting this aspect of deconstruction from two different angles. One is a pastor who has pastored people through deconstruction, and another uh, is a pastor that actually went through deconstruction himself. So our first interview is going to be with Pastor Abe Ortega. He's a pastor on staff at the Refuge in Charlotte, North Carolina area. He heads up their discipleship school there called RDS. He is also a young adults pastor. He's a mighty man of God. Check it out as we talk and have this conversation with Abe Ortega. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, you guys are in for a great treat. I have one of my great friends, Abe Ortega. He is a school of ministry director. He's out of the Charlotte area of North Carolina. He is also the young adults pastor at the Refuge Church. He is amazing, and I am super excited to have you on the show. What's up, Abe? What's up, Sean? How are you, man? You doing good? I'm doing good, man. How about Uh, you? We're doing good, man. You know, family's growing, two little boys, three-year-old, three-year-old, nine-month-old. So, you know, we're getting it and learning, you know, how to be new parents to these incredible little boys. Dude, I'm so stoked and honored that you asked me to come on uh, your podcast, bro. Like my wife and my sister-in-law, shout out to them if they're um, listening, man, listen to you faithfully all the time and, and know what you and Chris are doing, man. I know that you're impacting a lot of people. So man, so honored and blessed to be able to come on here and just have a conversation with my friend and, and hopefully through this, man, it reaches people. Oh man, amen. And you know, it's funny. I'm going to say this, obviously you and I know this, but to our listeners, Abe and I, we were having a conversation in a foyer of a church at a conference and you just started talking to me and this whole idea for these series of episodes, we this will be our second on deconstruction came because of our conversation. You're just talking to me about the generation. So I'm excited to jump and dive in this, but bro, we want to begin right here. One of the things we love to do on Keeping 100 is ask people their origin stories. So Abe, man, how did God grip your life for the assignment that he's placed on you? Because you are rocking generations, you're discipling, you are reaching, you're sending out leaders. So talk to me, bro. How did God grip your life? What's your origin story? All right. So I born and raised Inglewood, California, first generation American. My parents are originally from Guatemala. So came here to chase the American dream. So through all that, you know what I mean? My parents are trying to create a better life for us, but 
I think chasing the American dream, when we don't do things God's way, sometimes it can become a nightmare. So I tell people sometimes our American dream kind of turn into an American nightmare and just in stress and, and really doing things kind of out of our own strength. So my family background, really broken family, a lot of addiction, a lot of just abuse, um, typical Hispanic family. My only, I guess you could say, a definition of Christianity was Hispanic Christian legalism. And you know, when you're a young kid, you don't really want to have the, like have anything to do with that. You know what I mean? A lot of rules, a lot of all that. So in that, man, I think in my brokenness, in my lack of hope and in, in growing up in in poverty, um, in the hood, you know, really became very just hard hearted towards the, towards the things of God. And so I uh, got a hold of my heart, man, honestly, was I was mocking this Christian girl <laughs> in high school that she finally, I think in just her frustration and flesh, just looked at me and said, Hey, you know what, man, if you die right now, man, you're going to go to hell. So man, the fear of the Lord just gripped my heart in a way that I could not shake this. Oh my God. Oh my gosh, man. Eternity is real. So in later that day in my six period drama class, went to the auditorium, asked to go to the bathroom, had the fear of God on my life. So heavy that man, I opened up a stall, make sure no, no one was in there, got on my knees and said, Lord, if you're real, I need you, I need you to reveal yourself to me because I am scared. There was another friend who was going to youth group, saw kindness and gentleness and love, and also saw that she was having fun while being a Christian. And I said, man, where are you going to church? And she's like, man, you want to go to youth group with me? Invited me to youth group and man, went to this English speaking church and man, fell in love with the atmosphere, was uh, was able to hear the gospel for the very first time, Was uh, had youth pastors who took a chance on me, put their arm around me. The youth pastor was also a, a discipleship school director, a master's commission director. So man, he took me under his wing and shared the love of God with me and was really patient in allowing me to ask questions and understand the things of God. And so in that, man, I just went through a process of really honestly, very young, someone discipling me, you know what I mean? And and allow me to grow and allow me to discover who the Lord was and the Holy Spirit and taught me how to dive into the word and what it meant to have a prayer life. So I say that to say this, man, that radically changed my life. And because of that, I think the Lord really instilled in my heart that that's what I was called to do to other people because there's so many people that they've heard religion, they've heard some form of Christianity, but they really don't know the gospel. They've never really understood the love of God and they don't know what to do next, you know? So for me, what makes me come alive is when I'm sitting with a student or I'm sharing the gospel with someone and you see revelation or the light bulb click in their eyes and they they see the Lord in a whole different way. Does that make sense to you? Abe, that really leads us to our next question, bro. How do you define deconstruction and how do you see it playing out in this generation? Talk to us about that. Yeah, man, deconstruction has been one of those things that like, to be honest with you, Sean, it's been one of those heartbreaking things, man, you know, where I think with all things, the intention's good. You know, there are some religious things that's religious practices, things in the church that have been unhealthy, you know what I mean? That I think have caused some church hurt, some spiritual abuse. And so the idea with deconstruction is to take those uh, religious things, those, uh, in a sense, things that have caused church hurts in our, our lives and, and really dismantle them, you know what I mean? So that the idea, I think, is for greater freedom and for greater uh, revelation of who God is, for us to have more access to Him. That's the idea. Now, do I think we follow through with that? I don't know, man. I, you know, I, I don't really feel like in a sense that people are deconstructing. I feel like, to be honest with you, I feel like people are destroying. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's where the heartbreaking thing is, you know, because when we talk about deconstruction, man, all of us have moments where, I mean, if we even think about the church, the, the church in the 90s, right? Like, this, you know, like there was some stuff that we thought was really effective and we were like, yeah, like, I don't know if that would be effective right now. You know what I mean? You generally have to step back and go, hey, you know what? Uh, even if it worked, man, that's not healthy and we need to shift and we need to let go of these kind of practices 
places and doing church or evangelizing, you know what I mean, right? We have to undo it, add the shift. That's healthy deconstruction to me. The idea of deconstruction, if we research it, the idea of deconstruction is dismantling or deconstructing your faith. And for, you know, and I think that's dangerous, man. And, and a part of even our conversation that we kind of had in the foyer was recognizing how many people I feel like are deconstructing, man, but are really are not, are just destroying. They're destroying their foundation. They're destroying their faith. They're destroying the very fundamentals of Christianity. And I'm not talking about religious, like church organizations or, you know, or church fellowships. I'm talking about basic biblical foundations, right? That really cause us to know the Lord and it's what the gospel is based upon. Deconstruction is good if it draws us to know him in a more intimate way, right? That's good, bro. Deconstruction yeah. is good if it causes us to let go of striving, if it causes us to let us go of legalism, if it causes us to let us go of practices that are not are really unhealthy unhealthy um, as we lead people. And, and we draw near to the Holy Spirit and we know him in a deeper way. But man, I, I really find that in this generation, man, like that's not what's happening. I feel like people are using deconstruction as a way to, to air out offense, air out spiritual abuse. And listen, I want to throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. I think there's genuine, like we, we haven't always done it right as a church. You know what I mean? Um, right. We've missed it in some areas. And I think a part of it is that as church leaders, we have to own it and, and be better about that. But I think, man, at the same time too, though, like I think a lot of young adults that I'm seeing right now are using deconstruction to really stay in their offense, to really dismantle things that really shouldn't be dismantled or, or mess with. And, and man, it's really sad. It really has really, has really broken my heart. I'll tell you a quick story if this is okay. I, I felt more burdened in this area because I had a friend of mine went through ministry school together and just started getting on the de- deconstruction kick. And, and a lot of it was birthed out of offense, I think, in him. He had a lot of church hurt, you know? And and man, so he's like, I'm on the deconstruction kick. And we all saw the kind of the warning signs like, man, like you're, you're not, this is becoming very unhealthy. And unfortunately, man, he took his life. You know, he lost oh all hope. Wow. It, that when things got really, really hard, I think he had so dismantled his faith, dismantled his foundations that, man, he was hopeless. And I really feel wow. like the enemy is using deconstruction to really get people to a place of hopelessness. And I think it's dangerous. You know what I mean? You said something weird in the hallway, which I love it. You said something to the effect, many of the faces of deconstruction in this hour is people taking a jackhammer to their foundation, but what are they going to do when this fad passes? Bro, that was, that's like so profound. Speak to that a little bit. Well, I think here's the thing, right? We're living in a day and time and Sean, you're seeing it, you know? The Bible says that in the last days, everything that can shake will shake. So yep. what happens when we're taking a jackhammer, right, to our, our the foundations of our faith? We're picking it apart, you know? And, and what happens when trials come? What happens when the shaking comes? We will have nothing to stand on. You know what I mean? We have nothing to stand on. And so I think sometimes that's the perspective where I think we're missing it. You know what I mean? Like we're seeing people in the deconstruction thing calling things right that aren't right. You know what I'm saying? And wrong. And so all of a sudden, like even our whole identity shifts, man. If your identity is not secure in Christ, if you're not grounded, you're going to fall. You're going to fall and be swayed by culture. Because you know, culture is changing nowadays like never before, man. And and so when that that happens, I think there's a danger. That's what I think ultimately happened to my friend. You know what I mean? Um, that, That I think he took a jackhammer to his foundations and what he knew. And then when crisis came and, and, and mental health issues happened, I think he, he didn't know how to handle it. You know, it's like me and my wife, we always tell each other, like, we don't, we wonder how people handle circumstances when they don't know the Lord, right? Like, bro, like we right. have hope. Even That's when right. it gets hard, even when things come, come at you, you have the joy of the Lord. The, you have a hope in him that you might not see it right now, but man, you know, that the trial only lasts for a season and that, the, and that he's with you in the valley of the shadow of death. So what happens when you take that, when you remove that, you know what I mean? It's so true. I, I was reminded I had a conversation with a spiritual son of mine and he said, hey, you know, I saw some friends of mine and people going in the area of deconstruction and he was kind of intimate.
fascinating to me. He dipped his toe into that and then he he just pulled his foot back out real quick. And he says, you know what? There was no joy in that. You know, his his whole testimony is he came to Christ and he found joy. And when he started getting in that thing where like you're saying, you're just pulling the pin and the hand grenade and, and throwing it in the name of, you know, you had a church hurt experience. You had different things that go on. And and along with you, I want to be sympathetic to that. And, and we're not by any means saying that everything that goes on in the name of Christianity today is Christian, let alone sanctioned by Christ. But it's interesting. He said, I didn't find any joy in that. And so I just begin to wonder if somewhere in the process, if the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, but you start taking a jackhammer to that foundation, you know, that right relationship with God, to me, that means you begin to encounter God, you begin to experience God. So you're diminishing the experience of God. Righteousness is right relationship. Peace, all of a sudden, your peace dips, your peace, peace out, right? And you don't have peace in the midst of a chaotic world, in the midst of right now, confusion, wars, uh, inflation, COVID, international stuff, racial climate, political divisions, all that kind of stuff. And just people in, in general are mad. Their adaptive energies have been spent over the last two and a half years. And then finally, joy, righteous peace and joy. And man, when you take a jackhammer to that right now, oh man, it, it's a crazy place. And so you're kind of going there. What do you see, Abe, as some of the long-term effects of deconstruction? And how do you see the enemy ripping some folks off with this? Well, I'll say this. I want to answer that question. I want to make a statement real quick. When we talk about taking a jackhammer to our faith through deconstruction, I think the first thing that goes is allowing the Lord to lead us, right? If wow. the Lord is not leading us, then we're leading ourselves. And that's the basis of it, man, right? Because I think if we really were to think about it, if we really were to ask the Lord about some of the things that we're quote unquote deconstructing or dismantling, I, want, I don't know if his opinion would be the same as ours, right? We always talk about it. Jesus is our savior, but he's also our Lord. And Lord is a fancy word for master. And we don't like that word. You know, it has a bad, I can get it. In, in today's culture, the word master has such a bad uh, taste in people's mouth. I get it, but he's the good master. He's the good leader. He's the good shepherd. When we take a jackhammer to that perspective, then who's speaking into our lives? You know what I mean? Culture, ourselves, our flesh. And so I think that's that's the number one thing. I think that's the first thing that goes when we kind of begin to deconstruct. I th- and I think it's having a, a really, really bad effect. So my question for you is, this is a thought like, I was thinking about it, me and my wife are talking. I'm like, who have we known that are that's in the deconstruction phase of their lives that really is expanding the kingdom or, or really is living a fulfilled life as a believer? And man, there's no judgment in that. You know what I mean? But I'm uh, going to your point, like, where is the empowerment? Where is the joy? Where is the righteousness, man? And I'm saying to you, like, we have to just, we have to wake up. It's affecting people, man. I think there's more depression. There's yeah. more offense. I think a lot of deconstruction is based upon offense. And man, like offense, like Matthew 18, right? Jesus said, you want to deal with offense? Matthew 18. Man, we, I don't even think that this generation sometimes even knows how to reconcile, man. I think sometimes we're in a culture that, and I think it's bled into the church where we're just offended. So and, good. And we're offended and we don't want resolution. So I think when you have just a, uh, you ever been in an atmosphere where it's like, what are we doing? Like everybody's just complaining. Like it's like, I feel like people put themselves in spiritual limbo of just complaining and, and offense, man. And that's not healthy. So we're seeing, we're seeing the effects of it. I don't, there's a lack of joy, a lack of peace. Uh, we're seeing the church culture and the world mesh with spiritual beliefs or the Bible. And, and it's just, it, we're leading people astray. We're conforming to culture more than biblical principles. Um, we're seeing mental health crisis amongst uh, young adults like never before, you know, because again, you're removing your foundation. And I think through that, the enemy is just p- picking people away. But nowadays, bro, like I feel like I can't get on social media and people that we, we thought were so solid in the faith and that now are just dismantling it. You know what I mean? And so yes. there's a lack of peace. The, the effects that we're also seeing because of deconstruction 
is I think going back to kind of what I said, we're okaying things that we we said would, we would never be okay with. You know what I mean? Wow. We use, I think we use, uh, people are using deconstruction as a way to not really deal with the things that need to come into the light. You know what I mean? Because wow. um, man, I'm seeing a lot of my friends, unfortunately, that have same sex attraction. You know what I mean? And issues that, that they really don't know how to address. So they deconstruct with the church is just harsh and doesn't love people and see the churches. And the reality is it's, I think sometimes it's an excuse for them to do whatever they want to do. And again, it doesn't work that way. I think the t- times are going to get harder and Jesus said they would. And so now more than ever, instead of deconstructing or dismantling our faith or foundation, we need to like make sure that it's good and that it's solid. And um, there's only one person in the Bible that I think did, did deconstruction correctly. And that's Come the on, Apostle bro. Paul. So when wow. you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, right? Yeah. I, here's where I think deconstruction is good. The Apostle Paul was religious leader, right? Like when we first meet this guy, he's leading the, the killing of Stephen. You know what I mean? That's a guy that's down for the cause of Judaism. You know what I mean? But when right. the Lord radically changes his life, we see many times in his epistles, he's like saying, hey guys, if there was anybody that's like the religious guy, the religious leader, hey, that's me. But he's also saying, but that stuff's not healthy because we don't live under the law anymore. We live under the grace of Jesus. So what he was doing to even the people that he was writing to was saying, but hey, there's no life in that. And I got to undo that thinking for the sake of my purpose, for the sake of knowing the Holy Spirit, for the sake of being whole, right? Deconstruction is good if you're going deeper in the things of God. Deconstruction is good if you're knowing the Holy Spirit in an intimate way. And man, like we're really making sure that our foundation is even more secure so that we won't fall away. I love that. That is so great, bro. It's so profound. Hey, right along with that, man, because you're so effective in discipling this emerging generation, what kind of advice would you have for parents, siblings, friends, or even ministers as to how to reach out to people in deconstruction? So I would say two things, man. I would say, number one, this is from the perspective of a person that, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm, I'm a leader. I think that as pastors and leaders, we have to be okay with not being shocked or surprised by real and honest conversations. You know what I mean? We also can't be a afraid to own up and be like, hey, you know what? And we missed it or we blew it or, hey, you know what? We thought that in the time frame that we were doing something as church leaders that it was going to work, we didn't realize that it was going to hurt people, right? Like, I think I think we have a responsibility as leaders to lead the way in recon- reconciliation. And that's a portion of it. Number two, I think that we can't be afraid to have honest conversation and keep people accountable. You know what I mean? I yes. have friends of mine that are in the deconstruction phase and, and I think sometimes what they need is someone going, hey, what's going on with you? Like, like what, what is it that that you're going through did someone hurt you are you offended um man let's read the bible together about the thing that you're that you're struggling with or the thing that you have a question about but i think sometimes as parents as siblings as leaders i think sometimes we're afraid to have honest conversations that that don't sound um real churchy you know what i mean sometimes the greatest thing is to just ask the questions and then ask the holy spirit and invite him in and so i think the greatest thing that i could tell people is number one as leaders let's own it where we've blown it and let's make it right but let's also not be afraid to say, okay, let's, I hear what you're saying, but man, it's one of my favorite things that Billy Graham used to say, man, what does the Bible say about this? You know what I mean? Or asking questions like, hey, like, are you, is this that you're really um, dismantling something? Or man, are you offended? Or man, hey, who hurt you? You know, I find that the most effective way in discipling this generation is just doing that. And and sometimes being, even being able to say, hey, you know what? We're going to agree to disagree and that's okay. My love for you doesn't change. You know, I had a student one time, you know, where we were in the midst of going back and 
and forth with something. And so I just finally stopped the conversation. I was like, you know, we're not going anywhere here. It's becoming unhealthy. We're going to agree to disagree. And bro, in that moment, the student just tears in their eyes. And I was like, what? <laughs> I thought I had said something that offended them. And I was like, what is it? And they're like, man, no one's in my life has ever said that it was okay that, it, that we disagreed. No one. No wow. one's ever, no one's ever said, hey, the, the love between me and you is not going to change. You know what I mean? And so I think, man, we have a lot of young adults in, in or just this generation who are genuinely looking for someone to tell the truth in love and they go, man, hey, if it, I know what the Bible says, that's going to be my reference point. That's my foundation. And man, I'm not going anywhere. And we can get to this. We can get through this together. Oh, I think generation needs it, man. Like never before. Absolutely. Hey, I know the people listening. So give us a way to, to stay in touch with you and a way to look into the things you put in your hands too. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. So right now we're kicking off our ninth year of RDS, the Refuge Discipleship School. Man, so excited. We have a, a great team of young adults that are coming to spend nine months with us to go to be discipled. It's a, what we call our gap year experience. For students that just really want to go deeper in their relationship with the Lord or feel a call to ministry. So we take a year to give them a discipleship experience where they can ask the right questions. For those that are hungry that want to go deeper, you can check out our website, www.refugedisciple.net. Check out our social media, therefuge.youngadults. We're doing some creative things, finding great ways for community, for Bible study. Uh, if you're in the Charlotte area, we have events happening. We'd love for you to be a part. Come on. Hey, dude, it is such a blessing to have you on the Keep It 100 podcast, man. It was so great to have you on. Oh, man. thanks, Sean. You're the best. Say hello to Krista for me, bro. I'll do it, man. Oh, my. I, I love that because what I think is so powerful is when you pull from your life, you pull from your story. And Abe, although he touches on his story, he's really focusing on walking the journey with people that he's done life with, done ministry with, or done school of ministry with, and seeing them on fire for the Lord and in their own wrestle, their own process, and really gives insight and wisdom if you're walking with someone in the midst of deconstruction and really that process and what that looks like. And you guys, get ready because we just had one powerful conversation, but we're about to do a back-to-back interview, and that is we're jumping into another conversation. And friends, get ready because this is Dan Levy. He is the campus pastor of our home church. We love Dan and Joy. We so believe in them. He's an amazing, mighty, anointed man of God. And what I love is he went through a process of deconstruction, which he's going to share in this conversation. And what I love is he went through a beautiful process of reconstruction. And his relationship with Jesus is so beautiful. So get ready for a powerful conversation. He's amazing. Dan Levy. Hey, Keeper 100 Tribe, we have in the studio right now, Pastor Dan Levy. I love this guy so much. He is one of the campus pastors at my home church, New Life Church uh, in Northern California. Hey, Dan, so good to have you in the studio live. Hey, Pastor Sean and Keeper 100. Glad to be with you. Hey, man, we're talking about this thing of deconstruction. You and I have had a conversation. Man, give us your journey in deconstruction. I think this is so significant, so important. Yeah, Pastor Sean, so good to be with you today and glad to be with everyone here. A little bit of my story. I had the privilege and opportunity to grow up in the context uh, of a great church, a church that loved Jesus, a church that honored the Holy Spirit, a church that was seeing a move of God. And uh, I had the opportunity to grow up around that. I heard miracle stories growing up and learned the Bible growing up, encountered God at a young age. And so I had a great upbringing. My parents are pastors. They love the Lord. I had a great understanding of who God is. They modeled Jesus well to me. And so God was really present in my life. Around the age of 16 years old, I would begin to sense a call into ministry. And uh, it was significant for me. And I knew that this is what I wanted to do with my life. Um, Maybe six months after this, though, after receiving this this call of God, like I'm on this kind of spiritual high, I began to have some questions about faith, uh, about God, uh, about who he is, love for me, and began to wrestle with those things. And which ultimately ended up leading into kind of a protracted 
protracted season of me wrestling with my faith, wrestling with, with God and uh, things like scripture and wondering if God was even ultimately there. And so that's a little bit of the snapshot of it. Yeah. Um, there's more to it. Hey man, give it to us. And, and what would you say, what was the tipping point or the catalyst for yeah. you? Obviously there was a certain age, yeah. but what, because you had this awesome background, yeah. still do obviously, yeah. but what tipped you towards the whole questioning and what's going on? Where are you at God? Yeah. You know, I felt like it was a few things that, that kind of led up to it that that ultimately um, I wasn't initially aware of the impact it was happening kind of beneath the surface, but eventually it kind of began to come out. And so a part of my story that that's that's key to kind of underscore is that I experienced bullying growing up. And uh, there was a, a season of my life, especially from like first grade to really the eighth grade where I experienced a, a significant amount of bullying, moved to schools a handful of times in my life. And that was a thing that played into it. But add on top of that, my family uh, went through some, a, a pretty significant season of loss. And there were both my parents experienced cancer diagnoses, uh, lost, you know, three grandparents all within kind of a four or five year season. Um, eventually, uh, it, it began to come out in this this question of where is God? And um, and does God love me? And is God present in my life? And why has this happened? And, and so I began to wrestle with questions of faith. Um, some of the big questions of life. Uh, I think some of the circumstances I went through kind of led to that place in my journey. And then I had to address them. For me personally, it wasn't one of those things that I felt like I could just kind of put under the, the rug, but something I really had to had to deal with. You know, I, I wanted to follow Jesus with my life. I wanted to go into full-time ministry. Um, but then it would be this kind of progressive journey of, a, like I grew up with faith. I grew up with a great understanding of who God is, but I had, I had to go through a season where God had to become my own and yes. where I had to know him for myself. And this was part of that journey and that process. And ultimately, I would say that what the enemy initially meant for harm, God brought out great things from it. I would say through the season of doubt and even deconstruction, that my faith came out stronger than it was initially. Wow. And, you know, to anyone tuning in today, if you're wrestling with questions of doubt, or even you would say, I'm going through a deconstruction journey, um, you can actually come through the other side if you do the right things. If you come, you can come through the other side with a faith that's more robust and stronger than the faith that you had going into it. Wow. I mean, that's so profound. And I think, I forgot it was, but somebody said that uh, unexamined faith uh, is not a virtue, that we mm. want to. And wrestling with God is good. Obviously, Jacob mm. wrestled right. with an angel. But wrestling when truth of scripture is our scaffold. Like in that time of bullying, your, both your parents battling cancer, your grandparents lost. In the midst of that, what caused you to feel that maybe God, that traditions of faith, the modeling and all of that stuff, what caused you to feel maybe distant or caused you to feel like maybe your roots weren't as deep as they needed to be? What was it for you? Yeah. You know, honestly, it came it, it, during the time of the cancer diagnosis, I actually felt close to God. And it was a season wow. where I actually felt like it was a unique opportunity to lean in. I felt like I actually heard God with clarity. It was actually in that season of cancer diagnoses that I experienced a call to ministry. And so I actually felt like in the middle of it, I felt and experienced God. Wow. And then somewhere along the way, there was this switch. I think for me personally, there was, you know, this piece, I, I kind of, personally, I worked through th some of this in therapy later on, but I began to look back and see that there was fear related to the loss of people. So namely, uh, friends, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so growing up, I had, you know, about eight years of bullying and it was this continual thing of losing friends for me. Mm -hmm. But then it, it then went to family members where literally they would receive diagnoses where either grandparents died or parents received diagnoses that were life-threatening. And all of a sudden I began to project some of this onto God and where I 
began to wonder, am I going to lose faith? Am I going to lose God? Does God even love me? Is that, you know, is God going to reject me because people rejected me? You know, the, the, the peers that I had grown. And so all of this kind of came to a place of, is God there? Is he real? Is he active in my life? And if he is, you know, does he receive me? And so I began to wrestle with some of those questions and it turned ultimately to a thing where I began to wrestle with even some of the core questions of faith. Like, like how, how do I know God's actually there? And uh, if God's there, how do I know the Bible's true? And what about some of the central claims of Christianity, like the resurrection? And for me, I did kind of this deep dive study for a number of years into some of the core tenets of our faith. And um, instead of kind of running away from the questions, I went straight into the questions because for me, it was, um, I want, I, I wanted to follow Jesus with my whole life and I wasn't going to be afraid of the truth. And so I, I would begin to wrestle with some of these questions, do a lot of research. And ultimately I would find time and time and time again, that there's good reason to believe there's uh, in God's existence. There's good reason to believe in the trustworthiness of scripture. There's great reason to believe in the, the historical uh, resurrection of Jesus. And while all of these things were critical in my journey, I would say this, the most important thing in it was my continual pursuit of Jesus wow. and a relationship with him. Real talk. And, and never disconnecting from the church. Um, uh, for me, I never stopped. And ultimately, I'll say this. I I'm grateful because Jesus never stopped pursuing me. And, and even in the midst of, of, you know, my questioning, my doubts, I, I love how Paul puts it um, in one of his letters to Timothy. He says, even if we're uh, faithless, he remains faithful. Yes. And uh, that's what I realized in, in my journey is that even in with wrestling with faith, um, God kept showing up in my story and I, I kept pursuing him. I sought to know him. I never disconnected from the church. I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make in the deconstruction kind of doubt journey is that they, they walk away from the church mm -hmm. or they, they walk away from Jesus. Mm -hmm. When in reality, that's the, the thing that actually keeps us alive. Even, yes. even if, if a person is, you know, you're wrestling with some of the beliefs of the church that you're in, staying connected to the vine is critical. Like we, we got to stay connected to, to Jesus. That's the place where we find life. Jesus well says said. in John 15, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you nothing. Wow. And uh, I think too often people try to do like wrestle with doubt apart from Jesus or apart from the church. When in reality, the, the most important thing is doing it with man, him. Man, you're saying stuff that's so profound. I've often thought about this, Dan, because I thought about certain times you can go into places, maybe perhaps the Bible Belt, where one's Christianity is more of a reflection of their culture than their faith. And I feel like if Christianity is more of your culture, many people that are just ignited on fire for God, we would say sometimes the hardest people to win to the Lord are people that think that they're Christian, they're followers mm -hmm. of Christ. Yeah. But in fact, it's really their culture, not their faith. And I think, believe it or not, one of the benefits of deconstruction is deconstruction reveals, is your Christianity born of a faith that is your own or of a culture? So right. this leads me kind of the next thing I want you to address. I think one of the things that's so important is people say, oh man, deconstruction is dangerous. And, and my feeling is, number one, it, it depends on the motive, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're, you're talking to us about a motive that I think really ought to be embraced. But the other thing is, I think the real danger isn't the deconstruction. The real danger is the reconstruction. Like, what are you building on the other end of that? So talk to us about your journey, your process, Dan, in terms of, I know that you went to an Ivy League school and everything, but you had someone sit down and I, and I really push for this. Discipleship became, if you will, the, the safeguard. You know, you, yeah. you throw people a lifeline. It was the lifeline thrown in the midst of you in the waters of deconstruction. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think about a couple things. I think uh, with deconstruction, um, like you said, Pastor Sean, you can, it all depends what you're deconstructing. You know, if you're deconstructing, 
deconstructing something that's good, that's where it gets problematic. Um, if you deconstruct something that's bad, that can actually be a good thing. It can be a virtue. I think about in Florida, uh, one or two years ago, um, there was a building that had a foundation in my in the Miami area that wasn't secure. And I don't know if you remember seeing this in the news, but ultimately that building totally collapsed because the the weak infrastructure was never addressed. Ultimately, the the people should have deconstructed that building long before. That's totally different though from let's say a person going in and blowing up the Empire State Building. Right. Right. <laughs> and uh, something Great that's, that's a, a good thing. And so the key though, the issue when somebody's going through deconstruction sometimes is, is discerning though what's true from false. Right. Right. And that's where it's a little ambiguous. And for me personally, in my journey of wrestling through questions and walking this journey of faith, uh, I had a person in my life that God actually brought to me. He was a pastor, wonderful guy that really intentionally discipled me. He kind of walked the, the journey before me, kind of wrestling with his own faith at one point. He was a Bible-believing, God-loving, you know, person that, that taught the word. And he just had a conviction of, I, I need to disciple this guy and I need to walk with him. And so for me, it was in him, it was like no question was off the table. And he kind of pastored me through that season when I was in my really early 20s, when I was about 20 years old, and and walked with me patiently as I kind of wrestled and processed through some, some questions. And so I, I would say to the person that's wrestling with it, don't wrestle alone. Uh, don't be isolated. And this goes back to the piece about being plugged into a community of faith, a church that loves God, uh, that loves Jesus, is that you actually need to process these questions with people in your life that are trusted. That might not be a pastor. It could be a pastor, but don't do it alone. Go go through it. it it's most helpful to, in general, the journey of faith, you need to do it with people. And whether it's the highs, the lows, the in-betweens. And uh, I, I believe that if you ask the Lord, God will bring people along your, your way. Um, he might put people on your heart to, to, to bring this to, and he'll He'll position you to walk through this with other people. What was the gold that you would say, hey, having gone through deconstruction, kind of on the other end of reconstructing, yeah. according to the Bible, the plumb line, yep. what is the gold that you feel like you've benefited from? Because I feel like God can use every season, every journey, even the good and the bad. What have you found to be the gold in your own personal walk with God? Yeah, Pastor Sean, I think about a couple things. Um, you know, in, in my journey of faith, while it was important to address some of the intellectual questions that I had, it was actually in the season of doubt and wrestling that I actually drew nearer to the Lord in my life than I ever drew near prior. And wow. I realized that my issue that I was wrestling with was less intellectual and more experiential. Mm -hmm. Meaning I actually at the deepest core of who I was, was longing for an encounter with God uh, more than anything else. And so what I, I realized, what, what in that season, some of the gold that came from it was, was a prayer life. Wow. And I, I made the decision decision in that season of life that I was going to pursue God and that I was going to get to know him. You know, if you're wrestling with doubt, the most important thing you could do is get in the word and pray. I don't mean to oversimplify this. I recognize that people have questions and yes, dive into the questions, but not at the neglect of digging deep into your spiritual disciplines and getting to know God. So good. Because bro. he'll meet you in that place. You know, too many people uh, treat this as if it's just some intellectual exercise yeah. when in reality, God is calling us in those moments of doubt to give us greater revelation. Um, I think about Peter on the boat and the disciples and you know they're, they're at a storm at sea and Jesus walks up, they think it's a ghost. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. And he says, it's I. And so Peter gets out the boat and walking on water and he sees Jesus, yet he sees the winds and the waves and he begins to doubt. Jesus actually asked him the question, why did you doubt? Mm. And But what I love in the story is that Jesus doesn't let Peter drown, right? No, he saves him. And But, but here this. It says this before he saved him. 
it says he cried out. Peter cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me. My God. And it says that immediately he reached out his hand. And doubt can be a unique space that God doesn't cause, but God will allow. That's right. Um, so that it really can become the stage or the platform for an encounter with God in your life and you going to a place of greater revelation about the character of God. So one of the things I'll, I'll say is, is I'll use the analogy of, of a box and in each of us have a box and picture the box as your kind of belief about God. Uh, mm -hmm. Everything in the box is your belief. So you might have a in there a belief about God that he's all powerful. That's a good belief. You might have a belief in there that God, that God is present. That's a good belief. But you also might have a belief in there that God isn't kind yeah. or that, or that God doesn't love you or that God isn't for you. When you go through a season of doubt, this is what I've come to, to discover is that if we allow God to work in our life, he will actually go to work on our beliefs, taking the wrong beliefs, tearing them up and giving us revelation of who he is, experience of who he is to reconstruct the right beliefs about who he is. And, and so, you know, I, I really do believe that doubt, those seasons that people walk through can actually be um, significant opportunities for all year, uh, wow. experiencing his presence, getting to know his voice, um, discovering his love afresh for you. You know, I, I think that that seasons doubt, God isn't absent from those, but rather he's deeply at work in the middle of them. You know, sometimes the, the issue though, I feel like in our culture, sometimes we, we our culture glorifies deconstruction uh, without talking about reconstruction. Mm, and, yes. and and God doesn't take us into deconstruction or allow us to go into deconstruction to leave us deconstructed. Mm. No, he wants us to rebuild us. The Bible talks about Christ being formed in us. So and, uh, and so in those seasons, God actually wants to shape Christ within us so that we faithfully represent even better. And, that is um, so good. Hey, Pastor Dan, love you, buddy. Thanks so you. much for coming on. Keep it yeah, 100. Thanks. We told you, Dan is no joke. That's right? just powerful. So good. You know, he's talking about the crisis he went through, the bullying, the cancer that riddled his family and all that stuff. That stuff is real. I know there are a lot of people Absolutely. out there that really face some challenges. And just by listening to his story, I think it really gave me a bigger heart for those that are walking through doubts. But I love that he said in the midst of his doubts, he never once left the fact that he knew the answer was going to be found in Christ, in scripture, even though he, he felt like he said, he, he was like, God, where are you in all this? I don't know, but I'm going to stay connected to my faith. I think that's so powerful. Ooh, I love it. Powerful conversations. And friends, we're going to jump now into one of my favorite parts of the Keep It 100 podcast, and that is our Keep It 100 takeaways. Ooh. This week, we only have two, but we have two powerful takeaways because we believe takeaways are going to be answering the question of deconstruction. So our first takeaway of answering the question of deconstruction is the only proper response to deconstruction is discipleship. So true. Come on. We've talked about it can either be deconstruction or it can be demolition. We want, if you're in deconstruction, we want to help you do some reconstruction and reconstruction happens through discipleship. You know, we have to agree. We have a discipleship crisis in the Western world. And you and I know this, the Keep 100 tribe, we know this, but in recent decades, we've fallen in love with lesser things in the church. And now is the time to go back to the gospels and the New Testament to get in the word of God in hopes to rebuild the church biblically in the Western world for this cultural moment. We're in such a unique time in history. We've never been here before and we need the gospel like we've never needed it Facts. before. And we all must have people in our lives, you know, that have an inside access to us. You know, you and I have this. We have people that can speak into our lives. They can call out areas of unbelief or wrong, wrong thinking, false belief systems. And although we know that's not always comfortable, but it's necessary. We have to have people that can speak into our lives and help bring us back on track where we're a bit out of, you know, off track. Um, but this is something that's really lacking in the church as a whole. And we certainly see it lacking in the American church. And many American Christians, you know, they actually are discipled by whatever their preferred 
preferred medium of media is, right? right. Whether it's the news or social media or the blog or the podcast or the author that they have chosen that fits their preference, you know, are thinking about life and politics. It's either filtered through the Bible or the Bible is filtered through consumed media. Say that. And that's a rule. You got to ponder that. Where, Where are you getting your source of the voice in your life that you're listening to? And that's really scary to think about in an age of knee jerk, 24 seven media talking heads who care more about ratings and job security than actually being a solution to the world's problem. Current media is so fear-based, so drama-based, so catastrophic in their conclusions and their assessments that if you stay in that place, you'll never land in the place of hope and what the gospel is. So if the church is actually going to prepare the next generation to stand firm when the temptation to deconstruct is placed before them in discipleship must be placed at the forefront of life in both the church and the home. So, you know, Jesus says every student of the scripture who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like someone who brings out a new and an old treasure from the storeroom. We find that in Matthew 13, 52. And if you've gotten stuck in a purely deconstructive mindset, you're going to have to go back into the storeroom of scripture. You're going to have to dig back in and rediscover and re-identify and get reacquainted with the word of God. You got to dig out some old treasures that you've neglected, some truths that you've forgotten, and some new gems that are available in the word of God. And we hit this a little bit in our last episode, part one, but just to reiterate the point, deconstruction done right can be discipleship, right? Because it can lead you to a reconstruction phase, something more beautiful and biblically sound than any of us previously imagined. Sometimes deconstruction in a healthy way actually produces in you the most beautiful Christ-like relationship and lifestyle than you can ever imagine. That's so profound, boo, 100% underscore underlying discipleship. And I would just add on that, that the second key is encounter. You know, it's interesting because when we were listening to the interview with Dan, Dan talked about he had that encounter and that encounter is what turned him around. I thought that was so key. You know, uh, there's even a biblical example of this in John 11, three through five, we see John the Baptist. And at one point in time, he points at Jesus and said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was the first to acknowledge and confess that Jesus was the Messiah Emmanuel. And he did it in a very interesting way in the sense that he was his cousin on his mother's side. And so there was familiarity, but yet he could still see him through the eyes of the spirit. But yet in John 11, he's thrown in prison because he called out Herod and Herod's wife's relationship. He's thrown in prison. Looks like uh, there's going to be repercussions in addition to him being thrown in prison, uh, martyrdom. And so he's going through his doubt moment. He calls his disciples to himself. This is John the Baptist again. And he says, is he, speaking of Jesus, the one, or do we look for another? Like, hold on, wait a second. You're the same guy that said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, but now you're in a prison and now situations and circumstances aren't turning out the way you thought. This isn't the conclusion you thought. God, how could you let me be in prison? Hey, aren't you going to get me out? I've been in here. And scholars would say he's been in there close to a year at this point. So we're not talking about a weekend and a slammer. We're talking about he's been here a year. He's going through a deconstruction doubt moment. And he says, ask him, is he the one or we look for another? And Jesus' response is very interesting. Jesus could have went into an apology dissertation where he's proven all the different scriptures of the Old Testament I've fulfilled as the Messiah, that he had to come out of this town and he had this had to happen, that has to happen. He didn't do it. He says, go tell, as, as Jesus is speaking to John the Baptist's disciples, he tells him, go tell him that the blind see, the lame walk, the dumb talk. And he's, he's speaking of the supernatural miracles and encounters that uh, John the Baptist, obviously, as his ministry gave way to Jesus, he began to see this, notice this. In fact, he was there in the river, water baptizing Jesus. When 
when he said, the voice of heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So what does Jesus' response teach us about when you're going through a deconstruction moment? And he's letting us know it's encounter. What you need right now, if you're going through a deconstruction, our prayer and our desires that you would seek God for a fresh encounter. There's something about an encounter with God that answers all the questions because some of the questions aren't so much questions of the intellect as they're questions of the heart. And what you focus on grows, what you think about expands. So instead of focusing on your disappointments, your fears, your doubts, your angers, your hurts, focus on the face of Jesus. Ask God for a fresh encounter because let me tell you something, friend, a fresh encounter is awaiting you right now. The hands of the Father will never leave us despite doubt. His hand is still on you and truth be told, keep it 100, the church may stumble in certain moments, but the church never ceases to be the bride of Christ, never ceases to be loved by him. And Jesus has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And as leaders, we must reveal to everyone around us, particularly the emerging generation of the dark side of deconstruction and the bright light of reconstructing according to Jesus style. Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends. And be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out. Share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, you do not want to miss our next episode as we believe that this is going to be life-changing for you. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram at seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it 100.